0: Fierce bliss it's coming out April 29th um, in, in regards to um, how, did, how did you start to 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 record this you know what what was the the catalyst that uh, caused you to the, the beginning of the writing to, to happen
1: oh well the the uh, excuse me the the catalyst to start writing was the pandemic quarantine because uh I was on the road with Heart in 2019 for a big tour. And then um, Heart was scheduled to go back on the road the next year in 2020, but the pandemic hit. So nobody was touring and that took everyone, including Heart, off the road. And suddenly I had a whole year sitting at home, looking out the window Mm -hmm. and just writing. And so uh, I came up with a whole bunch of songs that I really liked. It was the first time in my career as a songwriter that I didn't really work with um, collaborators. And I ended up doing it for Fierce Bliss musically, but usually I write with collaborators, and um, it wasn't that way this time. So that's what makes it different to me, is that the songs that I came up with are much more straight out of my own personal mind, you know,
0: Yeah. And and did you enjoy that? Did you do enjoy it more?
1: Uh, Yes, I did enjoy it. To be honest, it's kind of stressful, too, because you have to go. I have to go to the um, to the trouble to lock my self-criticism outside and just put down like every idea and then go back and pick the good ones and not just be frozen because nothing I do is good enough. Do you follow? Yep, yep. Like, uh, Yeah, and in the past I've been kind of um, paralyzed by that as a writer sometimes. Judging myself too harshly so that i never do anything. You know, this time I didn't allow myself to be that way and just put it all down.
2: Love Endless as the southern sky Clear like diamond, cut like the moon. The shotgun words, you call the truth. Bullet that good night through. And the way
3: which song was the first one that came to you that you started writing
1: yeah it was um, as the world turns Ooh. and uh, just a just a, a story from a relationship where the intensity of being inside a relationship and sometimes you have a little argument or a squabble or misunderstanding or something and it just seems like the world is ending but Uh, the world keeps on turning, you know, and you maybe you just take a breath and then you just go on and you give the person a break and you go on together, you know, work it out.
3: I first thought that it was that you you got the title from, isn't there like a famous soap opera in the US called As the World Turns?
1: Absolutely, yes. And it was on for decades. And uh, the song was going to be called the world turns. But then I thought, nah, just throw in the as, you know, <laughs> it's just, just my own personal little joke, I guess.
0: That's, that's great. Um, so that, that's the, that's the final track of the record. That's the Tall End. Um, but but yeah. What, what, yeah. what about the opening track, Greed, uh, which was the first single as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Greed. I had the words for, I've had the words for greed. Uh, for several years. And then but I didn't know how to put them to music. But so I finally met and started working with Tom Bukovac, my guitarist, who's just such a master at what he does and playing and conceptualizing. And um, he's just a master musician, you know. Uh, he and I got together and he had ideas for it right away. So within A day or two, all of a sudden, greed became a thing. You know, it became a real song.
2: Have you
3: ever experienced uh, greed? Have you ever felt greed yourself? I mean, throughout your life, I think you mentioned that in the uh, in the info that came with the album, so to speak. That you know, every people go through these stages in life where you feel different things and so on.
1: Yeah, I have at (laughs) at different points in my career. I've just wanted more and more and more. Been super ambitious, past the point of uh, kindness, you know and <laughs> that well, is, is that greed
0: or is that is that ambition? Is it greed or is it ambition?
1: Well, at what point does ambition become greed? You know, I mean that's that's a topic for a dinner time debate, right there. Yes. <laughs> but in my case, there were a couple of uh, points where I felt that my ambition, uh, looking back on it, was. Extremely greedy. I just wanted it all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think it's an ego state. You know, it's a state where your ego sort of stands up and goes, No, me, you know. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I could have called this song Ego and it would have worked just as well. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that,
3: I think that is, that is, it's a great opening track and, and it's a great song. Uh, and you've got, and you've always had. Such a, such a powerful voice. Uh, do you remember back when you started singing? Was there, you know, who you looked to as another singer where you felt like, wow, that's what I want to do. I, I want to be like that when I grow up. Do you, do you have any recollections of that?
1: Yeah, there were several. There were. I think it started out with Aretha Franklin, and then it moved to Rod Stewart, and then it moved to maybe Robert Plant. And uh, pretty soon I had absorbed so many influences that it became this um, whole bunch of colors that became me, you know. And and no matter how hard it tried to sound like Aretha or Rod Stewart or Robert Plant, it ended up sounding like me. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, I've had lots of influences. They were all my teachers.
0: Speaking of Rod, Rod Stewart, didn't um, and you you talked about uh, your guitar play? Did Did Tom have a play with Rod Stewart? He seems to have played with just about everyone else.
1: Yeah, he's he's a he's a mother. Um, I don't know. I have to ask him whether he did. Did uh, do you know about him playing with Rod Stewart? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Reason. I mean, yeah, it's... for
0: some reason it it just kind of. It kind of like he's played with everyone, whether it's country singers or rock singers or Stevie Nicks or or um yeah. Joe Cocker or yeah. he's he seems to have played with everyone. Um so I'm just wondering for some reason I think he might have played with Rod Stewart somewhere along the lines.
1: Could be. He's I tell you, he's the maybe the finest position I've ever been involved with. Um just in the sense that he doesn't try to copy anything. He's got his own ideas. He's got this encyclopedic um, mind for songs of of all generations. And he's like a generation younger than I am. So I'm always surprised when he comes up with the exact chords and lyrics and everything for some song that was out in the 1960s. You know? (laughs) It's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. Is it is it it must be a really yeah. special thing obviously uh, you and Nancy connect musically in a different like in in like you interconnect so well. Um, do you, do you feel that with Tom as well? It sounds like you you have that same feeling that Tom and you guys just musically really gel.
1: I do with Tom and and part of it is as simple as just the fact that he's a great acoustic guitar player. and The acoustic guitar is where I started and what Nancy and I always did together before heart. And then the acoustic guitar is in my opinion, what makes heart unique. It's, it's that rock and roll thing with acoustic at its heart, you know, and, um, Tom's got that. He can play anything I ask. And like, I may ask him to, uh, play a big electric guitar part and he'll go away and he'll come back with an acoustic and say, well, how about this? You know, and it's way better. So no, I really appreciate that kind of artistry and mastery because for him, it's like rolling off a log. It's just easy. Natural. Cool.
2: How,
3: how did you go about picking the, there's some cover songs on there. there there's a queen song and, and, You're doing Eurythmics, uh, Missionary Man, which is a great song, killer song. How did you go about about picking cover songs? And were there other cover songs that you were thinking about doing?
1: No, I wanted to make the album be mostly new originals. But uh, there were a few covers like the Jeff Buckley song, Forget Her, Mm -hmm. and Bridge of Sighs, you know, that I've always just loved. And I... When you love, you know how when you love something so much, you just want to get, be it, you know, you're not satisfied until you can be it. Well, (laughs) I had that feeling with uh, especially Bridge of Sighs and uh, the Queen song. I thought, how great would that be if it was taken out of the sort of Baroque chamber music style that Queen did it in and just made it be a little bit more organic and raw. And then it was a duet with with a man. And but not just any man; it had to be somebody with the voice of an angel, um, the opposite of Tom Waits, you know. And so there's only one person I could think of, and it was Vince Gill, who had just the, the complete, pure, uh, wholesome, angelic voice. It worked really great. God, we're having this huge storm right now. I hope this doesn't uh, get in the way of our Wi-Fi. Right <laughs> We'll see. Well, Vince Keeble,
3: is is that someone you've known for a long time or was it a new acquaintance? Vince? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've known Vince for years. And um, but it's the first time we ever really. No, that's not true. We work together just at some live events, at some songwriter events but this is the first time we ever sang together on a record. And it was just such an honor because Vince is like royalty, you know, He's <laughs> not only is such an amazing singer, but he's an incredible guitar player. And the work he does with the Eagles is just like rolling off a log for him. You know, it's, it's pretty great.
3: Yeah. But Vince Gill is also, that's someone kind of like, um, like Garth Brooks. I mean, they're huge in the US, but they're not that well known really in if you look into Europe. I mean, the, mostly because of the country thing. The country thing ain't as big over right. here as yeah. in the U.S.
1: Right. Well, I think that, that if this record gets a fair listen over there, they'll people will will hear Vince and go, Who is that? you know, because it's a very special and um it's it's a treasure of a voice, it really is.
3: It is, it is, absolutely.
1: It's that, that high lonesome thing, you know, and, and uh, it's kind of like Ed Sheeran on steroids, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you, yeah. um, you, you talked about Bridge of Sighs and you also talked about Missionary Man, both of those have got um, Kenny Wayne Shepherd on there as well. Yes. Yeah. How did you? Missionary Man is the the biggest surprise for a song for having Kenny Wayne. When I first saw that, I thought, "Oh, this is this is going to be interesting to hear him on, on that." How did how did you come to work yeah. with, with Kenny?
1: Well, we have an attorney in common, and uh, and he suggested Kenny Wayne, and I'd never met him before. I mean, I was aware of his playing and his music and everything, but. He came in and he was just the sweetest, nicest guy, just jumped right into that song and just tore it up, you know, because I wanted to take it, take Missionary Man out of the 80s kind of robotic sound, you know, and I wanted to make it real raw, and real organic and um, and put some power behind it, you know, and Kenny did that. It was great and also we we had this big gospel choir in and everything so it became this great big mega church production <laughs> which I thought was great because the song is so relevant to what's going on especially in this country right now with the religious right being across a line from the rest of the country you
2: know I was born in and- A dollar bill for all the things I've done There'd be a mountain of money piled up to my chin My mama told me good, my mama told me strong She said be true to yourself you can't go wrong, but there's just one thing that you gotta
0: The, I love the um, the attorney story as well. It kind of reminds me of that Sammy Hagar and Eddie Van Halen. I think they met because of their Ferrari mechanic yeah. or something. So it's um, there's so many of <laughs> these, these little stories that are connected with the music industry, but not. Um, it's not like, um, well, he's, you know, we played before. Or, or my drummer knows Kenny Wayne Shepard. It's an attorney. I think that's great. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've never... Been one to really put a whole lot of store in the creative ideas of attorneys, but <laughs> in this case, in this case, it was completely the right thing to do. And, and uh, now I have met and worked with Kenny Wayne Shepherd and I hope to do it again in some way. Cool. I also, he, I thought he. No go. I thought he was particular. I thought he was particularly um, great on bridge of size the old Robin Trower song. Yeah. He just, wow. Blew my head off with that one. Well,
0: let's let's talk about this song. Let's talk about that song a little bit because you, you've mentioned that two or three times. So I'm kind of guessing that's one of your favorites from the record.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. I have loved that song for decades and uh, I think it's, one of the most true blues songs ever written, because it's it's about standing on the abyss, kind of like an existential abyss. Isn't just about being hungover or losing your husband or wife or being too timed or something. It's about the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate scary um, black hole you can fall into emotionally
3: well I, I mentioned uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. actually since we spoke about Van Halen Kenny Wayne Shepard opened for Van Halen on, on one of their reunion tours um, and mm-hmm. I was just thinking I mean back in 1978 when the first Van Halen album came out what are your memories of that album and the impact Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth had on, on the world of rock and roll
1: Well, they sure impressed a lot of people. I mean, uh, they came out and and Eddie was, he thrilled everyone with how he could shred, you know. And uh, my favorite in that band was, was of course, the lead singer. I thought (laughs) he was, he made that band happen. Eddie was a great guitar player and broke down barriers and everything. But come on, that that singer—I mean, with the with the um, uh, dramatics that he had and just his whole persona up there—that killed.
3: It did. David Lee Roth was, uh, and he is one of a kind for sure. Yes. Well, d- did you ever meet the guys? You did, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we played with them a couple of times, a few times and hung out a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was just like, we were all kids together, sort of.
3: Wow. Cool. Love it.
0: <laughs> keep, keep Keeping on this thread of guitar plays, um, Warren Haynes as well is also on the record.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I've known Warren for about five years, and he had asked me to come and sit in with Government Mule mm-hmm. three or four times, and uh, which I did, and just came to feel about them like family. And uh, so when Warren wanted to write, he had this idea to write an epic rock song that was long and went through all these different parts. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so he sent me this demo tape of what would later become Gladiator, and it was super long, way longer than the one that made it onto the record, and uh, I just kind of took the parts I thought really worked and strung them together, and I daydreamed for a couple days and came up with the words for Gladiator, a story of a warrior that decides to take off his armor and just give in and um, step out of the aggression. And into peace. Wander through
2: the city, find a wall of glass, show that you are willing, the wall will fall at last. The fear is far behind you, the bleeding and the pride. Share to useless all. It's in your dream
3: A great track,
1: thank you. I think Warren really killed it.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, he, he's, he's a great guitar player, he's really, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: and a fine human, you know, just so great, so generous, and uh, great attitude. Yeah. But the album, also, I mean, during
3: since we've been through this pandemic and everything, so so Warren and, and, and guys like Kenny Wayne and so on, did that actually happen that you were in the studio or is it the way it's done these days that he's off somewhere else and it's, it's sent through, you know, uh, exchange files through the, through, uh, online and stuff like that? Or, or how did it work?
1: No, that, that, uh, file sharing thing online has never really worked for me. Um, when you do that, what happens is you you send out your idea and what you get back is you get this mountain of everybody else's ideas in this big pile and you have to plow through them and try and make sense out of it. And there's a spark missing the spark of actually being in the studio and being together, you know, so I didn't do that with this. Um we decided to actually. I always wanted to go record at Muscle Shoals in Alabama, at the Fame Studio. So I went down there with these songs, kind of sheepishly, and and I met these musicians down there, Tom and Tony Lucio, and um, and uh, just got into it. We all wore our masks, and everybody had been vaccinated, and all that kind of stuff. So we observed the COVID protocol and all, and we actually ended up doing it in the same room face to face and nobody got sick. So I'm really glad that we were brave enough to do that. Cause it really, you can tell the difference, you know?
3: Yeah. Awesome. Well, can you, when you're at the, when you're at a place like that, I mean, how much of the history in a place like that, how much of that is brought into the songs and the writing and the, the ideas and so on anything or
1: well it's mostly a felt thing i think that uh when you walk into that that place it's very unassuming it's it's really down to earth and it's like a small little kind of funky place that they've really nurtured and kept up over the all the decades and you have to bring in your own high tech gear and stuff but that's no big deal but what feels so great there is just the vibe of the place. There's something about being in this um, location where all this historic music has happened and, and it's like it's in the walls or something. And you like you go into the restroom and there's a big picture of Aretha in there and, you know, just all the people that have been through there and made this fantastic music. So, Yeah. We definitely felt it.
2: Love of my life, you've hurt me. You've broken my heart, and now you leave me. Love of my life, can't you see? Bring it back, bring it back, don't take it away.
0: So, keeping of the, the whole studio vibe as well, you produced the record along with Tim, correct? Mm-hmm. How how active uh, with, with Tom? Sorry, how how active were you in regards to the producer role?
1: Well, I sat next to him, and we we made decisions and made calls, and um, we did the arranging and and everything. And then the other two songs, uh, Warren and I produced. Right. So it's just, you know, it's just going through and saying what is going to be what and what needs to be fixed and tweaked. And how about this? You know, that's how we did it. How, how did you come about working, having
3: Roger Dean do the artwork? It's a the artwork is fantastic. But yeah. I mean, are you a major Yes fan? Or, or what was the reason for picking Roger Dean?
1: Well, when I graduated from high school, I went to to art college and um, that was at the same time that Yes was having like their Close to the Edge and and, uh, Relayer and all those types of albums and with Roger Dean covers. And I just remember as an art student sitting there just pouring into them and going, what world is this? What fantasy place is that? You know, and so with Fierce Bliss, I thought let's do that you know let's let's design something that people can hold in their hands cuz we're going to release this on vinyl too that yes. they can hold in their hands and they can just go into like some kind of fantasy mirror and uh so of course Roger Roger was the first idea and i told we got in touch with him and told him the name of the record and he really liked it. So he sent me a bunch of ideas and one of them was the Parrot on Ice, which is the cover. And I loved it a lot and said, yeah, let's go with that. And he set about tweaking it and um, pumping it up and he flipped it over. So it was the other way around, just all did all kinds of things to it. And it just looks great, I think.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Killer. So a bit of a a cool 70s vibe to it as well. I I love it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you went
0: to art college. Did you ever graduate?
1: I didn't. I was having a hard time being in a band and being up till three in the morning and then making my eight o'clock a.m. class. So eventually I had to choose and I chose music, you know, so I was there for two years. but.
2: Did, did you
0: ever? Did you ever take that? And did you work on any of the early Heart records, like in regards to the 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 design, the layouts, anything?
1: Yes. Yep. Did. Okay. Not the Dreamboat Annie cover. We worked on the Little Queen cover, and I worked on the, um, Baby Love, Strange, and just conceptualizing. You know. Yep.
3: I just got asked. Since you, you mentioned Robert Plant earlier as a singer. I mean, when you performed in front of. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones, and these old men are actually crying. I mean, isn't that the biggest, nicest compliment you've ever gotten?
1: That was really poignant to me. Um, At the time we were actually performing, we couldn't see them well enough. They were too far away to really see that kind of minute detail. So I didn't see that until I watched it on YouTube like everyone else. Um, Yeah, I thought that was really poignant. For whatever reason, I'm sure it wasn't just our performance that brought Robert to tears. It it was probably him seeing Jason Bonham down there playing, who was the son of his best friend, who was just a little child when they were um, big with Zeppelin. It must have all been really sweet to him. So... I say more power to him, let your emotions flow. I love that guy because he, he's so open and just so vulnerable and emotional. I love that in a singer.
3: Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And,
0: and you, you could be right about Jason Bonham and all that kind of stuff, but you shouldn't take any credit away from yourself. You know, your performance in that is
3: unbelievable. Yeah, it is.
1: Well, that song... Thank you. I mean, that song is so holy in our culture that um, it was a real honor to get to do it, especially in that setting, you know, in front of the president and first lady and the surviving Zeppelin people and the audience was loaded with luminaries, you know. It was pretty high pressure, but beautiful.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the record. Um, yeah. Oh, it's really, Thank you. Really cool. Thank you. Right, right. Love it. And um, thank you. Thanks for having me. Too. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care and talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Bye. Bye
2: bye. Girl, a boy, a child, a newly Minted toy, a virgin dream unfolds, and teams. Teen- It can't be so.